Well, it is my honor this morning to be here standing in this pulpit sharing the Word of God this morning. Um, it is absolutely an honor for me to be able to have that opportunity. And so would you all just join with me in prayer for just a moment while we pray for this part of our service? So Heavenly Father, we thank you, and we bless you, and we praise you, and we lift you up on high, Jesus. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and that you would meet with us here in this place, that you would allow the words of the Scripture to wash over our hearts and over our souls, that we would draw ever deeper into our relationship with you. We bless you, and we thank you. Amen. All right, those lights keep turning on and off, so I'm moving this forward and finding some light. Amen? All right, so this morning, we're going to cover a, a few different Scriptures. I'm going to mention many different scriptures. They will not all be up on the screen behind me. I will try to remember every time to give you the address in case you want to check me later and see that that scripture really says what I just said it said. Um, if I forget, please forgive me. Come up afterwards. Ask me. If you have a complaint, as always, you can send your complaints to danhall at citychurch.com. All right? As Mike said, we're going to continue on in the Beatitudes this morning. And Pastor Mike gave me a fun scripture to, to work with today. Um, and so I hope that you all are blessed by it. I was blessed just getting to spend some time praying and considering the word. When I think about the Beatitudes in general, there's this juxtaposition between grace and law that I find very fascinating. You know, this idea that are we, we're saved by grace through faith, so what's the role of the law in our lives at times throughout my life, I've had people ask me, you know, do you fall more in the Calvinist tradition to faith or more in the Armenian tradition to faith? Super simplicity just simply being that, you know, the Calvinist tradition of faith is that once saved, always saved, that some are predestined to be saved by God, and once you give your life to God, that's it. Your position is secure and eternal, and you are going to heaven. And the Armenian tradition is more this lines of, we are saved by grace through faith, but through fear and trembling. I've got to work out my salvation. And so when people ask me that question, I always answer, yes. Yes. Yeah. Am I Calvin? Yep. Am I an Armenian? Yep. I'm both. And the Beatitudes are part of the reason why I have that both opinion when it comes to them. You see, when it comes to other people, I'm really more of a Calvinist. If you come to me and you say, hey, I gave my life to Jesus, or I'm born again, or I asked Jesus to be the, the Savior of my life, or I confessed my sins to him, then I'm going to believe for you that you are saved by grace forever, that you are going to heaven, that there is no way, nothing that's going to derail you from getting there. I'm going to believe that you are saved, and that is it. You're written in the Lamb's book of life. You're going to heaven. When it comes to me, though, that's a different story. When it comes to me, though, I'm really much more of an Armenian. I believe I have to work out my salvation through fear and trembling. Why? Because I know the wickedness of my mind. I know the wickedness of my heart. I know that I say things that I shouldn't say. I know I think things that I shouldn't think. I know I do things that I shouldn't do. I'm like the Apostle Paul in Romans 6 who says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of sin and death? I know that about me. So I'm, I'm much more an Armenian when it comes to me. I'm much more of a law person when it comes to me. When it comes to you all, I'm grace. 
you got grace, grace, grace. I'm just going to heap grace on you. But when it comes to me, i got to check that heart of mine because I know my heart is wicked. Psalm 23 says that, that the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He makes me to do that. That's the purpose he has for me. That's the design he has for me. The design is that I should lie down in a green pasture and be fed and nurtured by him. But he has to continually make me and make me again and make me again and make me again because I keep wandering off the path. So I like the Beatitudes. I like the Beatitudes for that juxtaposition. I like the Beatitudes also because in them, Jesus says that the law will not pass away. He didn't come to abolish the law, but he came to, to fulfill the law. And that not one jot or tittle of the law will disappear. I love that. I love the fact that Jesus says the law is important. The law is an imperative for us. And yes, Jesus died for our sins. Yes, through him, through faith, we can be saved. Absolutely. Yet the law has a purpose. I have some friends who are Jewish, and they joke and they say that there was the Old Testament, and that's the original Gospels, right? Or that's the original Scripture. And then there's the New Testament, and that, they call that the sequel, right? And they're like, and the original was great. It had everything you really needed, and then they added this sequel to it. And you know, the sequel's never as good as the original. And that's how they joke. And to some extent, that's how they think. And that's their faith tradition. And, and I can understand that, and I can appreciate that. But there's a little part of me that cries a little bit every time they say it. Because I, mean, I know that means they don't have Jesus. And our Jesus is a good Jesus. Our Jesus is a wonderful Jesus. It means they don't get to have that opportunity to know that forgiveness means they don't get to know the opportunity to have that relationship with him because he's in the sequel. But then I also have Christian friends, and I have some Christian friends who look at the Old Testament, the law, and like, oh, well, that's the prequel, right? That's great if you want some backstory, like you're into C.S. Lewis and, and, you know, or Tolkien, and you want to read the Samarillion, right, for the, the Lord of the Rings stuff. It's great if you want that prequel stuff. But you don't need any of that. You just need the New Testament and Jesus, and, and that's good enough. That's a shame, too, because the law is there for a reason. In fact, the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 3.24 that, that we're given the law as a schoolmaster to bring us to Jesus, to teach us what right and what wrong is so that we can know what's right and what's wrong, and we can come to Jesus when we say, hey, that was wrong can I get forgiveness? Because I screwed up again. That's the beauty of the Old Testament. It's only because of the law that I know what's right or wrong. It's only because of the law that I know what I need to ask for forgiveness for. And so I love about the Beatitudes is that Jesus, who we usually think about as all grace and all love and all forgiveness and little lammy Jesus, has this other side of grace here in the Beatitudes. And it's easy for, at least for me, I'm, I guess I have the personality type, it's easy for me to say it's about me, right? And as long as I get forgiveness, that's good enough. But Jesus in Matthew 24 says, Where lawlessness abounds, the love of many will grow cold. And see, none of us live on an island. None of us are by ourselves. My actions impact you. My actions change your life. 
And that's a big issue. And he says there in Matthew 24 that my lawlessness, my lawless needs cause the love of many people to grow cold. When I choose to live as a law unto myself, their love diminishes. When I choose to decide what's right and wrong, their love is what goes away. I'm not all by myself. It's not just me and Jesus. And so with that as a context, let's look a little bit at the scripture that we have for today. It's Matthew chapter 5, 27 through 32. I have mine in the New King James. It's just the translation of the Bible that I like. The one on the screen will probably be a little different. Yours at home, if you're looking at it at home, might be different, or yours if you're here might be different. But it's good to look at scriptures in some different translations sometimes to get the richness of what the scripture is saying. And so Matthew 5, 27 through 32. You've heard it said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it's more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for the whole body to be cast into hell. Furthermore, he said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman is divorced, who is divorced, commits adultery. And so this doesn't sound like happy, lovey, lammy Jesus here. Plucking eyes out, cutting hands off. You know, uh, if, you, if you commit adultery is the old law, the new law. If you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. That's a much harder standard. Over the years, I've had people say to me, especially about giving, that's a normal one. Well, we're not under the law, we're under grace. I don't think we need to believe in tithing because we're, under the, we're not under the law anymore. Yeah, but check out the difference that Jesus has here, these two different standards. You know, the, the old idea of tithing in the Old Testament, you're going to give 10% of your, of your gains to the Lord. What's Jesus do? He says, give everything. Yeah, which would you rather, I mean, if you want to be selfish for a moment, which would you rather do? Give up 10% of your paycheck or give up 100% of your paycheck? I mean, really, think about it. Jesus says to the rich young ruler, take everything you have and sell it and give it to the poor. Then come follow me, right? When the sand's outside of the temple and the people are bringing their offerings, all day long, people are bringing their offerings and putting them into the temple treasury box. And then this little old lady comes and she puts in two pennies and Jesus says, look at her. He stops everything. He stops the disciples. He calls attention to this little old woman. He says, she just gave everything. You want to get Jesus' attention? Give everything. You want to live under grace? Give everything. I mean, that's really what Jesus was saying. Give everything. The law? Give 10%. Last week, we looked at do not murder. Now, I know I've never murdered anyone. Woohoo! I can check that off my list. I am safe on that one. But he then says, don't be angry with your brother. Darn it. I believe I was angry at at least four people driving over to church this morning. I mean, Jesus didn't write this for 21st century Americans driving in Albany. I'm just saying, right? Because come on, 
it's too hard to not get angry at people. But that's the standard. That's the standard he gives us here in the Beatitudes. We're saved by grace through faith, not by our own works, lest any man should boast. But he still calls us to a pretty high standard. Don't even be angry with your brother. Don't even look at a woman lustfully. You've already committed adultery in your heart. I want to just set a couple ground rules real quick as we look into this passage a little more and as we use it for a jumping off point to somewhere else. Adultery. There could be some in this room. There could be some watching online who have committed adultery, who have that in their lives in their past. And it is extremely likely that there is someone here in this room or watching online who is divorced or is from a family of divorce. So let's lay a couple ground rules real quickly. One, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. Nothing in heaven, nothing in hell, right? Nothing, no height, no depth, no angel, no demon. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. That's Romans 8, 38, in case you want to check me. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he, Jesus, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How much unrighteousness? All unrighteousness. Even that dirty, rotten thing I did over there? All unrighteousness. Even that thing I did 10 years ago? All unrighteousness. Even that thing? All unrighteousness. He's faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. John 8, 10, there was a woman caught in adultery. Remember that? And the, the people were going to stone her. And Jesus says, he who is without sin, you cast the first stone. And one by one they leave. And then Jesus turns to her and says, where are your accusers? And she says, they're not here. And he says, neither then do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Yeah, because Jesus doesn't just, you know, slip it under the rug there and hide it. He does include that last part. Go and sin no more. I'm not going to condemn you, but go and sin no more. Let's change the behavior. Romans chapter 8 verse 1. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And lastly, Romans 8 28, all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. So those are the ground rules. I want you to keep that in mind because we're not here this morning to condemn anyone. We're not here this morning to belittle anyone. We're not here this morning to say that you must be cut off and cast aside because you shouldn't be part of the body of Christ. That's not the point of today. Okay? All right. Now we'll look a little bit more at that passage. So Jesus starts off and he says, whoever of you looks at a woman with lust in your heart has already committed adultery with her. And that's a high standard. Proverbs 23, 7, though, says, As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Sin starts in the heart. It starts in the heart. It gets a little, little seed there in the heart. And as we think about something, as we consider it, we begin to imagine ourselves taking that course of action, and it grows and it grows, and it grows, and it grows in our heart until one day it becomes who we are. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. It's one of the terrible dangers about a victim mentality. As we think ourselves a victim, we become a victim over and over again. 
It's why some of those you know, uh, multi-level marketing places will say, hey, you've joined this, put a picture of the house you want to have on your refrigerator. Imagine yourself living in that house. Why? Because as you think about that and consider it and imagine it, it starts to build up in you who you are so that maybe you can attain that thing. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Jesus is saying, watch out. Watch out about what you're thinking about. Watch out about what you're thinking in your heart. That's where sin starts. Then he says, you know, if your right eye causes you, or if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. I have a friend, Randy Johnson. He's 20-ish years older than me or so, African-American man. Love him. He's wonderful. Every time I read this passage, I hear him talking. Because Jesus would, or Randy Johnson would say here about this passage that Jesus is as serious as a heart attack, right? He's as serious as a heart attack. Sin is bad news. It's dangerous. It's deadly. It's no good. He is saying, this is really, really bad. It's so bad. Let me give you a crazy, ridiculous example of just how bad it is. Cut your hand off rather than go down that pathway. Pluck your eye out rather than go down that pathway. This is serious. He's like, I want your attention. I want you to know just how bad this is, just how deadly it is. It's serious as a heart attack. I hear him every time. The Apostle Paul, talking about grace, says, you know, that where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. He says, so then shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. Certainly not should we frustrate the grace of Jesus by continuing in our sin. It's a serious thing. Okay? We live in a society that breaks relationships really easily. We live in a society that is ruled by a spirit of divorce. We unfriend people and we don't speak to our family members and we change jobs frequently and we get divorces. We live in a society where the spirit of divorce has a real stronghold over us. And Jesus here is saying, listen, divorce is a bad thing. Let's not do that. Let's stay together. Let's find a way to work things out. Let's make a point of finding a path forward. And so one of the things that divorce and adultery have in common is that there's this breakdown of the law of love. Remember what I said before, that the law is there as a schoolmaster, a teacher, to bring us to Jesus. The law is there to teach us what's right and what's wrong, how we should engage in our lives, how we should move forward in our lives. In divorce and in adultery, we have a situation where love is broken down. Now, remember, where lawlessness abounds, the love of many will grow cold. So what then is the law of love? What then is that law that we should be living by? For those of you who are here and you're married or who are watching online and you're married, or maybe even you're not married, but you've been to a wedding or two, you've probably heard a passage of Scripture that talks quite a bit about love. And that's where we're going to spend the little bit of time we've got left. Talking about love, talking about the importance of love and how love should be shaping our lives 
so that we can overcome the spirit of adultery. We can overcome the spirit of divorce in our culture. We can overcome the hatred that is existing right now in our nation. We can look and say, this is how I should be shaping my life in the midst of coronavirus and racial tension and economic uncertainty, right? And, and what, murder hornets and everything else that this year has brought. My goodness, it's just... It is like the plagues of Egypt here, all over again. So let's, in baseball, there's a term, the ball is hit, it's in the air, and you've got, you're on base, and before you can run to the next base, if they, if they catch the ball, you've got to tag your base, and then you can run. So let's tag up this morning. Let's tag up to the law of love for our lives. So 1 Corinthians 13 4 through 7. I think they're going to put that one up, just so you know. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up. Love does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It's not easily provoked. Love thinks no evil. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Practicing the law of love, keeping the law of love is imperative to us maintaining right relationships. It's imperative for us to protect our marriages. So love is patient. It suffers long. My impatience puts other people on my timetable. My impatience puts me in charge. My impatience says that I'm more important than you. Love is patient. It takes its time. It recognizes that people are moving at different speeds from time to time. They might be going the same direction. They might have the same goals and the same purposes, the same aspirations. They just might be going at different speeds. Love says I'm going to take a step back from being all concerned about myself and give you time to catch up, give you time to get back here, because we're going together. That's the goal. Love is kind. My wife has a, a little sign in our house, and it says, in a world where you can be anything, be kind. It's great. It's a great message. In a world where you can be anything. Our society tells us all the time you can be anything you want, anything. Well, then be kind. Be kind. Proverbs 16, 24 says, Kind words are like honey. They're sweet to the soul and healthy for the body. Proverbs 15, 4 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, while harsh words stir up anger. Let's practice kindness, because love is patient. and Love is kind. People around us need that. They need us to be a little bit more patient. They need the church to be a little more patient. They need the church to be kind. They need those kind words to get them through their day. Love does not envy. Parade itself. It's not puffed up. Envy is simply wanting what other people have. And that's not love. Love is not wanting what you have for myself because I'm placing my needs, wants, and desires above other things. Love doesn't envy. Love doesn't parade itself. It doesn't boast. 
about what it has and in the face of what someone else lacks. That's boasting. I have blah, blah, blah. And then it belittles all the other people who are thinking, I don't have that. It stirs up envy in them because I want that. But love doesn't do that. Love doesn't call attention to what I have. Love's not puffed up. Or another translation, love's not prideful. Pride is simply thinking of myself more highly than others. And it's also this. It's the thinking that I can get through this on my own, that I don't need you. My pride says I don't need you. I can do this all on my own. I don't need you. I don't need you in my life asking me how my life is going. I don't need you in my life praying for me. I don't need you in my life asking me how my kids are doing. I don't need you in my life asking me how my wife is doing. I don't need you in my life asking me how I'm doing on my job and if there's something that I could be doing better. I don't need you in my life because I'm puffed up. I'm proud. I don't need you for anything. Love's not proud. Love's humble. Love's meek. Love cares. And love doesn't just sweep things under the rug. Love's not envies. It doesn't parade itself. It's not puffed up. Love does not behave rudely. This is one we used to say to our kids all the time. I'm sure Noah and Cameron would attest to it. Love's not rude. There's just no excuse for being rude, ever. Not if we're Christians. Love's not rude. Don't behave rudely. It's not, a, it's not a loving way to live. And again, why are we talking about this? Why are we talking about this law of love? Because where lawlessness abounds, the love of many people grows cold. When I behave rudely, I tear down the love in all of you. Love's not rude. Love does not seek its own. You who are parents, come on, you know this. You know that kids have no problem seeking their own from a little age. They have no problem being concerned about themselves and no one else. That does go down as time goes on, and I'm hoping goes down more. I love my boys. They're both here. But, um, but love doesn't seek its own. Love looks to serve. Love looks to lay down its life. Love looks to see how to build someone else up, how to make sure someone else is cared for. Love cares first about the other person and then about themselves. My pastor used to say that marriage was a competition between two people competing to see who could serve the other more, who could lay their lives down more than the other person. That was a good marriage. Love does not behave rudely. Love does not seek its own. Love's not easily angered and keeps no record of wrongs. These two also go together so well. You see, because when we keep a record of wrongs, ah, he said this, ah, she didn't do that. When we keep that list of those wrongs that we perceive, it's like kindling being stored up for a fire. And then just a little friction, a little spark, and you've got this fire that's raging out of control. Love keeps no record of wrongs. It's why the scriptures say, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Get that out. Get it out of your system. Get it out of your life. Get it out in the open. Don't let it build up. Don't let it build up as fuel to explode into something later. Love keeps no record of wrongs. 
It's not easily angered. It's not easily provoked. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. Psalm 51 says, Create in me, O Lord, a clean heart. Create in me, O Lord, a clean heart. Right? Cleanse me with hyssop. I'll be like whiter than snow. I need a clean heart. Because that's what love desires. It desires virtue. Love treasures truth. Love celebrates good behavior. Love promotes virtue. Create in me a clean heart, O Lord. And it does not delight in evil. Delighting in evil can be yourself, can be myself doing wicked things, but delighting in evil can also just simply be delighting in the evil of others around you. Delighting in their shortcomings, in their failings, in their sufferings. It makes me think of Ham, the son of Noah, right, from Noah's Ark. And how after the, uh, the waters rose and receded again and the vines grew, Noah made himself some wine. After 40 days and 40 nights and all those animals, I can understand wanting a glass of wine or two. Right? Well, Noah made himself some wine and he got drunk and he fell asleep in his tent naked. And his son Ham walks in and sees his father naked, passed out in his tent. And he goes running out to tell his brothers, ha, 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 you see the old man? He's drunk in his tent. Guys, he's naked. That's hysterical, Dad. Right? That's delighting in evil. It's delighting in evil. It's delighting in the fact that his father is there exposed in a moment of weakness. Scripture says love protects. That's the next verse. Noah's other two sons protected their father. They picked up a blanket, put it over their shoulders, one on each side, and then they backed into the tent. And then they laid that blanket down over their naked father so that they never looked on his nakedness. Because love protects. Love covers up that hurt. Love covers up that offense. Love looks for an opportunity to protect someone from being exposed for all the world to laugh at them what love does. Love trusts. Love believes all things. Something we used to say to our kids, um, parents, friends, or friends' parents, and our kids' teachers, listen, love believes all things. And so I'm going to ask you, don't believe everything that my kids say about me. I won't believe everything your kids say about you, or everything my kids say about you, right? To their teachers, don't believe everything my kids say about me. We won't believe everything they say about you. Because I'm going to believe the best about you first. That's what I'm going to believe. So if you walk by me on a Sunday morning, Matt walks by me on a Sunday morning, and I could think, stupid Matt, he didn't say hi to me. Jerk. Man, he's such a jerk. He didn't say hi to me. What was, what was that all about? Yeah, maybe he's got ministry duties. Maybe he's got to go talk to the pastor about something. Maybe his mind is just somewhere else. He didn't notice me sitting there. He had meant no offense by it at all. Love believes all things, meaning that it love believes the very best about someone first. And only afterwards, only after they've made it crystal clear that they have bad intentions, only then we say, okay, well, now I know who you are. First and foremost, I'm going to believe the best about you. Love hopes. It hopes for all things. It hopes for success. It hopes for good things for people. It sees potential rather than failure. It sees opportunity rather than adversity. And wrapping up, love perseveres. Love doesn't give up. The way may be difficult, but love keeps going. 
The path forward may be hidden, but love takes that step in faith. Love doesn't quit, right? Love never fails. Our God never fails. He never, ever, ever fails. So church, let's practice love in this time. Let's practice love in the midst of this season we're in. Let's practice love for the sake of our marriages. Let's practice love for our society. Romans 8.18 says this. This is the Apostle Paul writing, and we're wrapping up. He says, I'm convinced that the sufferings of this present age are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. This coronavirus season and everything else going on, these sufferings are not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us, the sons and daughters of Jesus Christ the King. These sufferings are not worthy to be even compared to that. That's the promise. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we bless you. And we thank you today. We exalt your name, Lord Jesus. We pray, Lord, that you would help us live by the law of love in this day, in this age. That we would be able to show love to one another. That we would be able to show love to our society. And so we thank you and we exalt you. Amen.